18.7 seconds left. Miller for three, and he got it. Reggie Miller with a clutch tray, and it's 105-102. And a steal, Miller retreats to the three-point line, and hits again. Reggie Miller has tied the game with 13 seconds remaining. Reggie Miller made a three, stole the ball, raced behind the three-point line, and hit again. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. This is episode lucky number seven. I am your boy, Smart Alex, along with my brother from another. See, Grant, what up, everybody? Yes, sir. And we are here today to discuss our topics of the day. As always, we're going to jump right into it and leave no delay. Hopefully, we can get it in that hour threshold that we've been trying to keep y'all in. We appreciate everybody who tune in, support, subscribe, give us feedback. Again, we're always going to be welcome to people joining the conversation. And as we eventually continue to grow, we do plan on going live and having live discussions. So y'all stay tuned and please continue to keep giving that feedback. We're going to jump right into topic number one, which is John Wall speaks out about his contract situation and his future with the Washington Wizards. So I'm going to pass you the floor, C. Grant, and I, I want your perspective first and foremost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this was this was pretty interesting. The whole John Wall situation. I mean, he's hurt. He's got to say he talked about, and it was a, a pretty decent article. Uh, I know it was with the Atlantic. The Atlantic. That's a, a, a paper, I think, down here out in D.C. And he basically was talking about how you know he felt like the the people giving him a bad rep, told him how he had the worst contract in sports. And he's like, "Well, I'm injured now." I don't even have an opportunity to play for that contract, but I'm going to prove to y'all that I'm not the worst contract in sports, that I'm worth the money. And he wanted another shot with Bradley Beal to really make it work because he always felt like they were, when they started getting in sync, somebody got injured. So if he would go out with an injury or Beal will go out, I'd be able to stay uh, consistent. Like where a lot of other teams, those got their backcourts are healthier than the Wizards. And he kind of really talked about Wanted to stay in D.C. his whole career. He wanted to be one of the few people that could actually say they were with a team the entire career. And that, you know, he never wanted to go ring chasing. He he kind of, you know, where he's from in North Carolina, he was kind of brought up, you know, you got to get paid. You know, you, you want to be able to get the money, you know, because he's basically saying, that, hey, he's not leaving no money on the table. You know, um, he's still the basketball game the way he loves, but that bag is important to him. So, you know, he never wanted to be one of those guys that wanted to play for multiple teams anyway. So, you know, he, he um, you know, that's one of the situations. But I think he's trying to save face. He wants Bradley Beal, of course, because once he comes back from an injury, he would be by himself. He'd be with a bunch of uh, all kinds of nobodies. And, you know, him him making $40 million a year, he needs Beal. You know, you definitely need to, you want, you want to do whatever you can for him to get Beal assigned so that way, Hey, listen to me. If the, if, if the ship's sinking, I'm not going down by myself. I'm going at least going out with somebody that I know is going to be giving a fighting chance. All right. So here's my take on it. Because first and foremost, I'm 100% in John Wall's corner. I'm a John Wall fan. Always probably going to be. I, I'm disappointed that his gun never developed because, you know, I'm big on gun work. I'm very big on gun work. Mm-hmm. And gun work, I think, especially in today's NBA, is a big part of 
engineering your success. My yeah. take from his perspective on a Supermax contract, he said that he's worth it. Factually speaking, he's speaking facts. In order to qualify for the contract that he was given by the Washington Wizards, he had to fall into the Supermax eligible category. He met those requirements. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when you meet those requirements and you qualify for something, you, 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 you complete a prerequisite, you're subject to all the splendor that comes with it. But you're mm-hmm. also subject mm-hmm. and open to all the criticism that comes from taking that deal. So him being upset about the deal and the feedback that he's gotten from it, I think it's a little bit childish. But I do understand where he's coming from when he says, hey, when there's an opportunity for this money on the table for you to go and get it, you have to because turning down money is not something that you're always going to have an opportunity to look back and go and recoup. And there's two perfect examples of two opportunities of players who were in that position and for whatever reason, they either wound up not getting the bag or injury took the bag for them. And the two that I'm going to speak to, one is somebody that he played college basketball with. That's DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins has in his foreseeable future. He was 29, right? 29? And mm-hmm. yeah, he's yeah. a center. He's probably going to play till what, max? 35, 36? So he's got seven more years probably in the league. And most teams are offering at the most. Or well, Actually, he's 20. He's 28. 28. Okay. He turns 29. So he's, so he's got uh, seven to eight. Turns 28 next. Actually, so next he week. has. So he, has, he turns 29 next week or he turns 28 next week? No, he turns 28. Okay, so he turns 29. Week. So again, he has effectively, so every year he's going to age up before the season starts. So he effectively has seven more mm-hmm. seasons, not counting this one. Well, you can count this one in it. So he's in the window of the tail end of his career. It seems crazy to say that about somebody who's only 29 years old, but that's just the reality of it. DeMarcus got hurt. That's the way the NBA is. DeMarcus got hurt. You come in at 19. Marcus yeah. got hurt right before the super bag. And now he'll never get a, a he'll never mm-hmm. even get a big bag, most likely, if we just be honest about how the way no. the NBA is shifting. The second example. Okay, absolutely. Second example, Isaiah Thomas. If you ask Isaiah Thomas absolutely. right now, if you had a choice going back to that Boston time when you know your sister passed away and your hip was basically dating Bo Jackson, would you have sat your ass down? Or would you have kept playing to make the situation worse? I promise you, he would say he would have sat his ass down. No matter what he might oh, tell yeah, a reporter. The truth of the matter is, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But the reality is, is that he knows that playing in the condition that he did, it did nothing to help him. Yeah, no, nah, he, and he lost out on, he probably lost out on 100 million. So you're talking about... Right, 90. so you're talking about two guys. DeMarcus was going to get 100. So you're talking about 250 Easily. million, give or take, off the table. GM's relieved. Like, oh, we were, I had my owner telling me I had to throw a contract at this guy, and I didn't even want him on the team. He gets hurt. Whew, dodge that bullet. So from that perspective, Easily. I'm not mad at John Wall collecting a bag that he was eligible to get. Now... As a basketball player, as a businessman, as a person who understands winning, was it the right move? No. There's no debate in that. Because every player who signed this, this Supermax contract since they've started has either wound up shifting teams or gotten hurt. So there's nobody on the table in the Supermax category who's actually had an opportunity to fulfill their contract besides Russell. And Russell... No, and uh, James Harden. Harden got the Supermax? 
He got the supermax, but I, I don't think about... it kicks in until like what maybe this season. Because he he did an extension yeah, on top yeah, of yeah. an extension. So Yep. So yeah, Harden's gonna get that back. So you got Harden and you got Russell Westbrook, two Supermax guys playing together. Those two, because of their 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 career health, probably have an opportunity to live up to some extent to what that contract says your production needs to be like. Meaning that you need to be what you were to get it. All NBA, perennial all-star, considered for the MVP vote, blah, blah, blah. Harden and Westbrook, they can fulfill that. If DeMarcus Cousins mm-hmm. makes the all-star team this year, everybody's going to say he's the comeback player of the year. Yeah, yeah. If, you know, if Isaiah Thomas plays 68 games, you know, 62 games for the Washington Wizards, the guy who's replacing John Wall, if he plays 60-plus games, everybody's going to say the resurgence, the renaissance, the return of, of, of this guy. That, that's a really huge jump in career perspective. So for John Wall to go and take the security that comes from getting that extension, I'm not totally mad at it. Do I feel like as far as overall basketball business, it was the best thing for his team? No. But him as an individual and the perspective that he laid out in the interview, I respect where he's coming from enough to say, all right, cool. His take on wanting Bradley Bill back, I agree with you 100%. There's no way in the world he wants to come back and Bradley Bill's not on that team and he's got to deal with an 11-man crew of people he never met before or, don't, or doesn't really know. And the mm-hmm. fact that Washington's trying to pseudo-win in his absence is even more aggravating because that team might play just good enough to get outside of the lottery. And we all know now, we've learned that a lottery pick is probably one of the most flippable assets for a veteran player you can have. Yep. So to be honest yep. with you, if, if Bill doesn't take that extension, they've got to trade and tank. Even though he doesn't guarantee you you know, whatever the case may be, as far as your odds at getting the number one player in the draft or the number one pick, you've got to turn tailspin because you have nothing to present to your fan base that leads them to believe that you're able to invest in winning realistically. It's just not there for them. They don't have the players. They don't have the people available. There's nobody that they're going to be able to assemble along with missing Bradley Bill that would make that wizard season worth going too crazy to win. So yeah. I understand where he's coming from. They do have a chemistry. And honestly, healthy, they're probably top three backcourt in the league. You got Clay, Steph, CJ, Dane, Bill, and Wall. Now you could probably throw, now you could probably throw Westbrook mm-hmm. and Harden in there. Yeah, now, now, yeah, but yeah. But as far as top five backcourts go, if John Wall comes back healthy, they're probably going to slide right back into the, into the top five of backcourts available just off of statistical production and their ability to impact the game together. So, yeah, I would want that guy back, especially if I don't have a legitimate problem with him. So I don't see an issue with that. It's going, it's, like I said, it's going, that's going to be the um, challenging part because if I'm Bill, I'm out of there. Like, I mean, I know he might like D.C. and all that. I like D.C. too, but you're never going to win if you sign extension because you you guys seem like they're going to be cash strapped uh, because the Wizards have definitely made some weird sign-ins. They signed dues to contracts and nobody, nobody, no free agents coming to D.C. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with D.C., but just the way it's set up, 
nobody playing for them. Plus, they always seem like they don't have like a a solidified coach. All their coaches seem like they easily could be run over or they just not putting the right game plan. Dudes is not following their game plan because Scotty Brooks, man, he was all right with Kevin Durant and all of them, but he ain't been doing nothing with the Wizards. So they they need a new a new voice or something, but he's still going to be there. So, like I said, if, I, if I'm Beal, I'm out. Yo, Wall, appreciate you wanting me a team, but I got I to gotta work, work worry about what's best for me. And I gotta go get that um go get that chip. But you never know. Bill might be under like, yo, let me go get that. He might be thinking the same way Wall's thinking. Let me get that bag and try to make it work with John Wall. You like I know. mentioned before, Bradley Bill and it was funny because Tracy McGrady said this in an interview that I randomly caught. Tracy McGrady was expected to only play four or five years of competitive NBA basketball by doctors at pre draft. Can you imagine being told that Tracy McGrady and what he became was only expected to play four years based off the issues that he had with his back as a teenager? He wound up playing 15. Now, obviously, he didn't play 15 full seasons at any given time in his career, but you get the point that I'm trying to make. Bradley Bill has a mm-hmm. condition with his legs that I've told you about before. I- I'm going to have to go look it up and give you the hard data and just like send over, send over a link to when he actually spoke on it. But I think he understands, like you said, that, that he has, he's, he's dealing with Father Tom in two different perspectives. He's dealing with, with Father Tom from the perspective of how long do I have where I'm going to be this good and able to be a part of something big and win? And how long do I have as a healthy basketball player to ensure that I'm compensated for what damage is going to be done to my body? So I think he's got quite a decision to make, and I don't think we're going to know what that decision is until October because if I was Bradley Bill, I would slow play it. I would certainly slow play because if you don't take the extension, you're sitting on that contract that you currently have where you're into like the, the high 20 mil and you're flippable. So now you know you can go out and, and have fun with the Wizards for however long it's going to be. And then come All-Star break time, you're probably going to get flipped to a contender who thinks that you're that guy or you could be that one person or so on and so forth. Like I could see, I could see, and this is going to sound crazy to say, but I could see like a person like Bradley Bill getting flipped to Portland for CJ straight up. You know what I'm saying? With whatever salary players need to be filled in, just because his salary is going to attract teams like that who might feel like, okay, well, Bradley Bill, although he can play the one, he doesn't need to be the one. He'll fit in because we saw him do it with John Wall and we'll be able to preserve him. Whereas a guy like CJ, you can just see in CJ that like, yo, you gave him a team, you're going to fully unlock him. So, again, I always said I was, I'm was i a fan of CJ, and I'm glad that he signed that contract. Get your bag, young man. Don't stop. He, and also, he's got one of the dopest podcasts in basketball podcasting. So I definitely salute CJ for all the different things that he brings to the table as a player and, and, a, and a person who gives perspective on the game. But I do think that, like, Portland's got a short window with being able to keep the backcourt that they have together. And now Washington's on the clock with what they're doing with Bradley Bill. But back to John Wall to j- just, like, kind of, like, wrap everything up. I, I think that, you know, based on my understanding and what I've seen with Achilles injuries, we're obviously not going to see. He's already going to be 30 when he comes back. So he's not going to be as explosive by default because age is going to play a role. But the Achilles, I mean, looking at what it did to guys like Kobe, Dominique, what it did to Boogie Cousins, it's tough. It's tough. I really and, – and then on top of that, he had issues with that leg before the Achilles even snapped. So we really don't know what type of rehab he, he, he's up for 
and what he's got to come back. Just all I got to say is this, John Wall. You got that money. You got that bag. You've spoken about your perspective. Now go into hiding and get a gun. You come back with a gun, everybody's going to be quiet. Yeah, he's got. He's definitely got to get that jump shot on the on the raps because I mean, because like you said, he's probably going. He's going to lose. He's going to lose some speed. So that speed and explosiveness that he was making All Star games. We're talking about a guy who used to come at the rim with either hand, finishing left or right hand dunks, and he's what six mm-hmm. two and a half, six three, six four. Six four. Like six four. Okay. So regardless, mm-hmm. he. Listen, he was he okay, like and, and then that's another thing that real quick to touch on. You realize that all those power guards that legs gave out, that new era of guards, Russell, but obviously that was partially because of what Pat Beverly did. Then you had Derrick Rose, then you had Vince Carter, mm. all these high jumping power guards who could all of a sudden meet me at the rim and equal the athleticism of all the other high flyers in the league, eventually their legs betrayed them. One way or another. So I think John Wall is going to learn that and has probably already learned that. I just hope that he, he sheds the weight because he was overweight last year too. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like I said, he's got this whole season off to, to figure it out. I mean, like you said, hopefully for his sake, yeah, if he loses, he drops the weight, he could, like you said, hopefully regain some of that explosiveness back. If not, she's in it for the long haul, yeah, man. And I have no idea what Washington can do. I, I just looked at their roster on Spot Track and, like, it gave me a headache. So I'm not even going to try to pursue an avenue where I could, you know, play GM and see them being able to put together a roster that makes them competitive. But again, the way the NBA has been shaking out and the way players are going to be moving, you never know. Yeah, but they would have to, like I said, Bill has, in order for them to get any type of um, flexibility, they're either going to have to trade, I mean, Bill, or hopefully the um, the, the the rookie from um, Gonzaga, he can, um, he'll pan into something where they can move him to get some pieces or something like that. You know, but the reality is, yeah, the Wizards are stuck because, like you said, I'm I'm glancing over their their roster right now, and I'm like, Shh, this ain't an eighth seed right here. This is like a twelfth seed. Like they're gonna be pretty. They're gonna be pretty um, inconsistent. Bill's gonna do whatever he can to um, make them win, but looking at their roster, they're not gonna win games. They're stuck. Yeah. So it, it's a it's a precarious position for the Wizards because you get Wall out there and Wall's healthy. You automatically become competitive to some extent, but it, you lose all that competitive possibility if you don't have somebody to at least pair him with. So, you know, again, I wish the best to John Wall. Take your time with your recovery. Come back healthy and, you know, make sure the clips is loaded and you got a gun. We're going to go ahead and transition from the John Wall situation into the current captain planet of the NBA, which is our boy David Griffin, who is doing a major cleanup job for the comments that he made speaking about his tenure as a Cleveland Cavaliers you know, GM and all the statements that he made to um, Sports Illustrated about that, that whole experience. So he did join the jump on ESPN to clarify some of his statements. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, what did you, yeah, what did you think about his, about his attempt to, you know, captain planet the situation? Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is this. You already passed LeBron's situation. Without LeBron James, you, you re- realistically you wouldn't be in the Pelicans GM situation. Don't say nothing about LeBron. Like you know, like you know, LeBron's under the microscope 
and everything with LeBron is being amplified. So the moment you start talking about LeBron, even if the even if any of the off the record, you know whoever is the reporter is like, nah, it's really on the record. They got their fingers crossed when they say off the record because they're trying to get as much information as you as they can get. And you gave them a mouth. You gave them. You gave. You gave them. You know. You gave them a whole week, almost a week and a half, of news coverage that you wouldn't have gotten. You know. So it's like, leave LeBron alone. Like, even if that's true, leave him alone. You got a chip. Without that chip, you wouldn't. You not. You not the the GM. Everybody that LeBron LeBron vouched for. LeBron vouched for you. That that should have meant something. And I think you just leave it alone. Like. Don't mention it, or you just he, he to me he still wasn't a little decide he, he he left a little bit of um kind of that assumption like he didn't say yo uh you know I apologize to even mention LeBron's name in that light but that this wasn't the case I was only stating this LeBron was a great person to work with it was difficult to have the one the one year player option years but. It kept us competitive, and I appreciate LeBron for that because he helped me up my my uh, capabilities and putting the team together to make us win the championship. Boom, that's it. You know, and that's it. Fall fading to the wind. Now you, you know what I mean. But I'm the good. thing with David Griffin is is that I watched him heavily after he left Cleveland on NBA TV, and he's a straight shooter. You ask him a question, he's not going to, you know, veer a little to the left. He's not going to try to be on the politically correct side. He's going to speak from the gut. And I respect people who do that. You know, like those people at any level of sports are few and far between. I mean, you got Trader Danny who will sit up there and lie to you and tell you that, uh, you know, signing Enos Cantor was plan A for the Celtics in the offseason versus a guy like David Griffin yeah. who's going to give you something a little bit closer to the truth. My problem with the whole situation is, like you said, when you're speaking of somebody who, who has played a big role in your success and your rise to success, I think you tread carefully. And I don't think he chose to tread carefully. And other things have come out from other people like, you know, oh, you know, sometimes you get a reporter and you get to talking with a reporter and sometimes they don't know the difference between on the record and off the record. So they just wind up quoting everything. Well, my problem is you said it on or off the record, like things like the things that he said just flat out don't need to come out of your mouth when spoken to a member of the media. Those are internal conversations that get leaked amongst team employees, you know? So like David Griffin yeah. hires an assistant GM, that assistant GM doesn't work out 42 games in a season, he gets released from his contract. Somebody brings that assistant GM onto first take and then he starts airing out dirty laundry about conversations that took place, kind of like what Magic did. That I can understand happening, where somebody is secondhand quoting things you said and did, but you're letting this come straight out your mouth. You're the same guy who asked LeBron, yo, LeBron, can you tweet my wife's, my wife's vineyard? LeBron did it. So 53, That's 53 million people exposed to your wife and her wine grapes. Exactly. And here's my thing. I'm pretty sure that endorsement came after he said those comments, because the wine tweet was recent. The article got released right after it. Yeah, yeah, it's easily he could have. Like I said, he already knew what he said. But that's my point. It's like, yo, come on, dog. Like, keep my name out your mouth. It ain't nothing positive. Like, yo, keep my name out your mouth. Especially see, when you're doing stuff like now that. See, yeah, keep my name out your mouth. That sounds all good and gravy. But the reality is, man, I always believe in freedom of speech. So you got a right to speak your piece. 
I just think, again, the piece you chose to speak, you ain't handle it right. You can say, you can say it was stressful managing a team where LeBron is the best player and the pressure to get to the finals is coming from every direction. Nobody's going to be mad at you speaking those facts. That's a lot different than saying I was miserable. And then when you try to recontext that into what you actually said, which is what I said first, which was the whole idea of the way LeBron went about handling his business and made the pressure for Cleveland Cavaliers to put together a team that was competitive enough to get him to the finals was stressful as hell. Nobody could, again, be mad at you saying that. But once you add words like miserable, misery, no fun, not enjoyable, so on and so forth, and then you question his hunger. I knew I I was going to be out. Yeah, I knew I was going to be out as soon as we won. I knew I wasn't coming back. Really? All right, so now, now, this is one of the few times where you and I both can reflect on being players. We both played at John Jay College at a time where John Jay College was the worst thing in Division Three basketball. Am I speaking live? And we wound up being a part of a team that essentially went from worst to basically first. We, we were the splash of, of the metropolitan media, so on and so forth. We went to the City College playoffs. We lost in the first round. The team that came back, was that team any less hungry? No. We already tasted success. I mean, come on, we were at Division Three. We weren't paying for food, kicks, uniform, all the things that D1 players got. And some, we went to the trip to the Hall of Fame. Like, we had a pretty good run for a bunch of kids from the city mm. playing basketball for a city university. You understand what I'm saying? We we already mm-hmm. we already like you know we already tasted the wine, but that didn't stop us from wanting to get back there, at all. LeBron tasted the wine when he won that championship, and then he continued to pursue championships and get back to the finals. So David Griffin, when he goes back and and, and reflects on that statement, he he added, "Oh, what I meant to say was I was clearly wrong about that. I thought he didn't have the hunger. Well, you know what? You as an interview subject, and I'm gonna say this to anybody who's listening." When you're interviewed by someone, you have a right to consult with the person who interviewed with you and have them read back to you everything that they said that they intend to use before they publish it. That's common press courtesy. But like you said, some some people they just they trying to like Katz is trying to figure out how to take shots at LeBron and try to like because he he is such. But what are we in year fifteen? And they still doing it because it's never going to stop. At, at the, it's never not just that LeBron is still at the elite level, so it's not like he fell off and then now you hand all his dirt. It's like nah, he's still at an elite level, and you're trying to get people to keep your name around. I mean, because yeah, the Pelicans is cool and all, but once y'all got Zion, if you're not talking about Zion, who cared? You know, so now you're talking about LeBron again. Like I just don't like the way they did LeBron like that. I mean, he said he gets he gets. Some of his bad press, some of his deserved, uh, uh, a great amount of it's not deserved. And in this case, this wasn't deserved because even if that, think about it. You're a GM. Your job is to put a roster together to win a playoff, to win a championship. Well, you're forced to do that every time, every year. So what you mad at? You know aren't, you I mean? like, aren't you there? Aren't you there Like, isn't that your goal? Is exactly. that your main objective? A, yeah, that's a job. Like yeah, your like, job is supposed to be to win. I've really had it with these GMs who have these quote unquote five year plans. 
Because you're basically saying, I get to have a three-year vacation. And then by year four, we need to be on the verge of pursuing a championship or so on. That's a cockamamie ball of crap to serve the fans. I'm not saying you can't have that, but don't have that publicly. The only team that did that, and then the NBA intervened again, was Philadelphia. But real quick on the sidebar, let me just ask you a question. Let's just remove what we know to be this reference to being. Chris, if you was at an AAU game and your pops was on the layup line catching windmill dunks off the backboard, are you going to be mad? Hell no. I'm going to leave it at that. So all you people out there who have a problem with LeBron being a quote-unquote stage dad, like y'all need to let it rest. Because honestly, if your pops was able to go out there and put on the show to take some of the pressure off of you before you go out and play, knowing who your father is, let him have that. Exactly. And I'm going to exactly. be real with y'all. The Ball is Life highlights and all the other channels that, that like recap Bronny's games, they always lead with something that LeBron did, and then the rest of the footage be wild boring. Like, I mean, it's great to see that Bronny is progressive. You know what I'm saying? He definitely looks like he's going to develop to be a quality player. I'm not taking nothing away from his talent. And the fact that his hops is, is just like springing up out of nowhere, I'm definitely excited to see where he's going to continue to take it. But yeah, because he's going to be a freshman coming up into uh, incoming to high school. That's what I'm saying. He's already catching. He's windmills. catching windmills. He's throwing it off the backboard, catching it. Like, listen, man, more power to Bronny, man. I wish you nothing but the best of success. I, I, I've always been on record as saying that, like, sons of legends typically don't have a trajectory that bodes well for them as athletes. And it's always played out as true because if your father was like this all-time great, that son, he usually don't follow up and get to even all-star status. And I could go down the line to Gary Trent. Gary Trent Jr., he just fought his way to get into the league. Uh, Glenn Robinson the third or whatever. Is he the second? Whatever. Glenn Robinson's son, mm-hmm, same mm-hmm. thing. Um, Jalen Rose, he was slightly on par with his father, but his father wasn't really all that. He was a two-time all-star. Jellybean Bryant, he was a mediocre to average player who begat a legend. Like that trajectory, it goes opposite. It doesn't go the other way around. So if Yeah, but the play the people you need, they weren't the star status like LeBron. Okay. Again. So okay, you know Tim I mean? Hardaway Jr. Yeah, he's not gonna be better. Exactly. Than That's my point. And yes, dad was an all-star. Mm-hmm. So it's even worse for you if you yep. a GOAT. Notice that I'm I'm trying to be nice. And leave the Jordan kids out of this. Oh yeah, they didn't make it. Though. Exactly, sons of a legend. The only, the only people that I mean, it's because we follow basketball, but we know Dell Curry and you got Steph and Seth. But like I said, Dell Curry was never at the role. He's actually on the. Seth is more on the career path of his father. You know what I mean? Seth Curry, the, the younger brother. He's yeah. Where Steph is like the phenomenon. So. That's the thing where um, that's one dynamic family dynamic that you could look at. But they, say, okay, they, they, but the they father... don't exceed the role. He's okay. So Dell Curry, never an all star, perennial shooter, respected amongst the league. Yep. You have a son who's now going to be arguably considered one of the all time greats. So now mm-hmm. Steph has basketball kids. Their projection, based off of my theory, they will not exceed their father. No, no, and it's not because they're incapable. It's just it just seems that's the way basketball genes. That's the way the basketball gods balance everything out. Like I can't have Michael Jordan having another goat, 
But it looks like there's a chance yeah, yeah. for D Wade and LeBron to have some really good kids. Yeah, even Kenya Martin. Kenya Martin's son is dope. As is Shaq's son. Yeah, Hopefully, man. Shaq's son Sharif. Yeah, he comes back and now he won't, but he won't catch his dad. Sharif is only like six nine, six ten, and he's got a whole different type of game. Mm-hmm. But my point is, sons of legends typically have a hard time getting to even all star status. So, absolutely absolutely yeah we're gonna go ahead and wrap up the whole david griffin captain planet recycle try to clean up after the toxic waste spill that you left with that article that you left sports illustrated published about you and lebron and we're gonna move forward to this is gonna be like you know where we just basically talk our way through through a number of hot points but one of the first things that we came across was the um all-time great six man list i'm not sure where you pulled it from but um I do recall. Nah, the names I saw it on, on the internet. Yeah, I, I, I saw somebody posted on the internet, and so okay, this might be something to you know talk about. It's just it's one of those things where you know they had they had um, you know I, they they didn't have a certain order. They just mm-hmm. listed them. Like I said, you know I like to go about the players I've seen and I've been alive to see. You know what I mean? Like I said, if you got if this place that's been around some black and white TVs, like that's not for yeah, me. You know exactly. I, mean? I, I didn't rock with that, but um. Uh, but you know, like I said, yeah, we talked about like Ginobili being like the top dog, uh, Kevin McHale, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams. I mean, those four cats are like I said, everybody, if you follow basketball, you know, all of these cats and all these dudes put in that tremendous amount of work. I mean, Kevin McHale, he's probably the one on the list that's got played the most, that started the most games out of all four, um, all four of those guys. Yeah. So um, from my perspective, like I said, um, I had I had Ginobili rated number one all time as far as my favorite six man or who I thought had the best six man career. He won multiple titles as a six man. So his role was clearly vital Mm -hmm. to that to those Spurs teams. Kevin McHale after because Kevin McHale got his luster from being on that stacked Celtics team and being the sixth man and then progressing into a starter and winning championships also as a starter as long as, uh, as well as being a supportive sixth man for that Boston team. Um, but, you know, Kevin McHale won two. He's a two-time sixth man in yeah. the year. Yeah. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Because he had to sit the bench for, I think, the Walton year. But mm-hmm. Walton came off the bench too. But, I mean... We're talking like, you know, like both of us was like, we we, we still had baby teeth. This is little kids. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really want to pretend like I know, no. I mean, I grew up watching the Lakers and the Lakers versus Celtics was heavy. So my first experience with basketball was watching Magic and the Lakers play Celtics. So I'm definitely familiar with those teams. But the way those were constructed at the time, Kevin McHale was the sixth best available player. And Boston was winning with him sitting on the bench, not starting. So... When he did progress into a starter, we got to see that he's arguably top five in post moves and post and post maneuvering in NBA history. Yo, word, because to this to this day, his post moves is you can still get buckets off them. Yeah, Kevin McHale had probably one of the deadliest up and under combos into a drop step that's probably like ever been seen. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to take anything away from Kevin McHale and what he did contributing as a six man, but I put Ginobili ahead of him because I believe Ginobili won almost every title that he won as a spur. He was a six man on that team. And I think every t- every year that they tried to start him 
was a year that the Spurs wound up having. Because remember, the Spurs had that off on, off on, off on dynasty situation with their with their championships. They would win yep. and then get maybe to like the second round of playoffs the year after, fizzle out. You know, only the year, only the year where they played the Heat, lost the Heat, they came back and beat the Heat. Did they actually repeat into the finals? I think in that whole entire run. But um, along with that, you had Jamal Crawford, you had um, um, Lou Williams. Uh huh. Who I think those two, as far as like punch, I don't yeah. think you can debate who had the most punch when it comes to. So you have Ginobili and Mikhail, who brought a different element to being a six man, and then you just brought straight gunfire when you when you talk about what Crawford and Lou Williams are capable of doing when they came off the bench. And then some of the other notable players yeah. that they had on there, like you guys like Robert Horry, you know, a lot of the default respect the six men, Vinnie Johnson, so on and so forth mm-hmm. is on that list. But I mean, keeping it, keeping it in that like top five or six players from the modern era, you know, like you said, when TV was in color and games were being televised at a, at a more frequent rate. They weren't on tape. Yeah. And they weren't on tape delay. Cause they used to be on tape delay when I was a kid. Yeah. So you can, I mean, you could throw guys like Tony Kukoc in there who, you know, he bit started for a while and then wind up developing into a starter, I believe, during like the what the, the last three of the three peat for the for the Bulls. Yeah. I think he was starting by that time. Eagle Dollar, who we all know was a former starter who became, mm-hmm. you know, a great six man for the Warriors dynasty. They even got they got Absolutely. Dale Curry listed here, Anthony Mason, Detlef Shrimp, um mm-hmm. Leandro Barbosa, who had like, you know, a nice little run as a six man. Lamar Odom, one of my favorites, Mike Miller. A lot of those guys, they, they were six men who, like, I feel like they played great roles and they, they did great jobs. But those four guys, those four core guys that we started with, like, you could run your offense through them. Easily. Remember, Jamal Crawford is the only dude in NBA history to have 50 points with four different franchises. Facts. And I think he's the only player to score 50 points off the bench twice. Yeah, and then also he got, like, the most four-point plays in history. Correct. Which is which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. He's uh most points scored off the bench, fifty one. That dude insane, man. That's when you score fifty off the bench. That's crazy. When you, that just sounds when you crazy. drop fifty off the bench, you know what that means? That means the guy ahead of you was like, nah, I'm not going back in, I'm good. Yeah, the guy yo, the sad part about it, the guy ahead of you might have got released the next day. We don't need him no more. You know what I'm saying? We don't need him no more. He, I'm good. And I think didn't yeah, didn't crazy. Crawford when he was like a rookie with the Bulls drop fifty? Like Crawford came into the league buckets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Buckets. Jay crossovers for real. And where did he go? I think he went to Michigan. Yeah. Did he go to Michigan? Yeah, he went to Michigan. Yeah, yeah, he went to Michigan. Yep. I remember. I remember him when I was watching. They when when he was about to get drafted. Cause he got drafted top ten. He got drafted eighth. Like, he was like the fifth year, pick or something like that. Like he was. He, no, was, he was early. He, in was, he was number eight. Oh, yeah, he was number eight. But his highlights was one of the when he was putting the ball through somebody's legs on a fast break. I was like, "Yo, who is this cat with the headband?" I was like, "Yo, yeah." I said, "My man, it's crazy." With and him. he had he he was really? really he was really the talk of the town when he came to the Knicks. Like I'm not even gonna hold you. Like I enjoyed watching Knicks games when mm-hmm. Crawford was out there playing. Like he still got some of the greatest highlights as Knicks on the break. Like that one where he did the behind-the-back uh, scoop that now everybody oh, does. Come on, son. 
Yeah. Everybody does now. Yep. Everybody's got the behind the back scoop into that was the Euro step before the Euro step before NBA players figured out how to get their footwork together. It was like, I got to do something with the dribble to put myself on this opposite leg and then jump the other way. Mm-hmm. Crawford, he just had that immediately. Yeah. He was, yo, he was crazy with it. I, I, I want to know what, are there any moves that he had, he, that he has not tried yet? You know what I'm saying? Like as a cat like that, for doing moves like that, when, you know, he was perfecting that. So it's like, yo, what, what haven't you tried yet? Or what, that you couldn't perfect, but you came close. Because, like I said, when you when you got handles like that, and that you're looking at, and you scoring at that at that at that rate, yo, unbelievable. And I tip my hat to Jamal Crawford, man. He's he's definitely in the hoods Hall of Fame. He might not make it to the NBA Hall of Fame, but he's in the hoods. Yeah, Hall of he's Fame. definitely, uh, um, and he's something of a playground legend in his in his hometown area. I think he's a Seattle kid because it's from Seattle. And, yeah, and that's yep. Seattle, Seattle. Seattle playground. From what I hear, like the the guys that they that they produce, they produce some 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 really quality fixtures in the league, along with Jamal Crawford. You know, Nate Robinson is from there too. So, big up, big ups to to Crawford. Definitely big ups to Lou Williams, who I don't want us to get too crazy talking about because we spoke about him on a previous podcast, and and we just know, like, you put mm-hmm. Lou Williams on the floor, you know what you're about to get. You know what you're about to get. Yeah. It's a given, and he's gonna give it to you, and it's gonna be painful. Because he scores, and it's like, how did he do that? And it's every basket that he scores, it's a how did he do that basket? Splitting double teams off of pick and roll, ducking underneath people to, to hit curl layups on the strong side of the rim. Like, he, he doesn't run away from contact. Mm-hmm. He's going at the contact, but still shooting an evasive shot with accuracy. So Lou, Lou Williams definitely represented for the undersized scoring guard revolution that Allen Iverson pioneered or basically made popular in you know the past 20 years of NBA history there's always been short guys who could really score but Allen Iverson took it to another level and a few more guys especially like Lou Williams who was like a prodigy of his or you know understudy they definitely Mm -hmm. took it to another level so I I definitely got to big up that um being that we got a good amount of time left and he's definitely worthy of this we're going to spend the remainder of the podcast dishing out our feelings and and, you know we're just going to speak freely about it Vince Carter is wrapping up what his what is this his twenty second year? What, what is he? he yeah, he's, he's about to enter his twenty. Yeah, he's about to enter twenty twenty two. He's about to enter what season? Twenty two. So let me get this joke out the way real quick. So Vince Carter got drafted by the Warriors and then traded to Toronto, right? On that yep. same day, somebody got locked up and sentenced to twenty five to life. Do you know that that probably that person probably got out? <laughs> That's how long Vince Carter been in the league. When I got locked up, Vince was a rookie. I'm coming home and Vince yeah. is retiring. That is crazy. Yeah, it's that crazy. Was... What's cra- it was crazy is they said if he plays next year, like in, in mean next year meaning the calendar year in the year 2020. He'll he'll be the I think the only athlete to ever play to play at, at least one game in four different decades, right? Because he he came in late nineties. Wait, wait, he came yeah ninety eight late nineties. He did the two thousand ninety eight. Yep, the two thousand ten era because next year to twenty twenty. Yeah, wow. So if he play if that would be insane. But you know what? Not for nothing, man. I think when I'm looking at Vince, right, I'm I'm seeing a lot of different. I'm kind of feeling a little different because 
Vince, when we grew up, like Vince in Toronto and New Jersey, I say. Uh, I get New, Toronto and New Jersey. Vince was, he was putting that work in, man. He, you know, Toronto, he was really, you know, Air Canada. He helped the Raptors, put the Raptors on the map. He dunking everywhere. He had a couple injuries that slowed him down a little bit. But still, even when he went to the Nets, he was still putting the work. Yo, but the sad part about it, he's had another 10-plus years, and cats don't remember that. Like, we remember, like, Vince Billy getting any playing time there. Like, you know, you got to figure from 2009 is when he left New Jersey. To go to Orlando. Yeah, to go to Orlando. But that's 10 years ago, so... For the last 10 years, any of these new cats that was really, like, not knowing the old Vince, they looking at him like, yo, he he's a journeyman. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, why was he so uh, decorated? I mean, granted, what the good thing is you still got – you still had um, the internet that early. Because you saw that dunk contest, the dunks he was doing, it's like, holy smokes. But, unfortunately, now these cats is doing his dunks like it's nothing. Yeah, I mean, you so, know, you know when I realized that the um, the glass is officially half full and starting to empty on vents. Remember when Paul George did his dunk contest dunk in Indiana mm-hmm. in a game? It was a fast yeah. break, and he did the against the grain three sixty windmill. Oh yeah. Now, mind yeah. you, Paul George is two and a half inches taller than Vince, younger, whatever the case may be, fully healthy when he did it. But it was like, yo, you just did a dunk. That he said it's over in a game. In yeah. a game. Now, mind you, in retrospect, in comparison to what guys are doing now, it was a dope performance. It definitely set the stage for the elevation of the dunk as we modernly know it and, and see it. But now, in comparison, like the jump that athletes have made just in their ability to dunk the ball is kind of crazy. Because, I mean, I'm sorry. Vince Carter's dunk contest versus Zach Levine versus, um, Aaron, Aaron Gordon. Gordon, Vince might come in second at best. Yo, he might. Yo, he might come in. First. Mind you, yeah. yeah best. Okay, yeah, so yeah. let's recap because remember, Vince tried to dunk from the free throw line in that in that in that um, dunk contest, but he took a full foot yeah. inside and and you know just basically did a regular finish. Michael Jordan was doing mm-hmm. that in eighty eight and eighty nine, back to back. Doctor J was doing yeah. it what late seventies, early eighties. Uh-huh. There's a couple other guys, you know. That if you go Brent Barry one, right, one dunk Barry, contest doing dunk that. Contest. So Zach Levine did a between the legs from the free throw line. Yeah. And th- which is crazy. And then I think he did another sick one from the free throw line. He did right. a windmill. So and then mind you, we, we're not gonna we're not gonna take anything away from James Flight White, because James Flight White was jumping from the free throw line for a living in Europe before he came to the Knicks and just I don't know what happened. Came out with all those flight attendants oh. and, and later Dudley's Sprockets. But yo, and I was there at the I was there when it happened in Houston. Yeah, I was so tight. I I'm yo, I was a fan. I'm like, yo, he's a Nick. He's about to put this work in. He doing all the Brought dunks out the flight attendants. that I seen him do. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, okay, he about to do all the dunks I seen him do in Europe. It's gonna be nothing for him because he's been doing them for years. This cat missed everyone, man. Yo, you know what's funny about him? Every time he's been on a major American stage with an opportunity to just like clearly jump into stardom off of his dunk ability, 
somebody either snatches it from him or he or he lets himself down. High school All American dunk contest. Do you recall who he lost to? Uh, was that Candace Parker? Uh, that would have been even worse. But no, James Flight White lost to David Lee in the McDonald's oh. All American dunk contest. Doing the same dunks what, but, that he become world famous. But remember, he was missing the nah, dunks, he was right? making the dunks. David Lee was just doing some outrageous oh. stuff. You got to go back and watch that. Go mm. back and watch David Lee versus, I'm watching, um, I'm, yeah, I'm versus James, James White. Because remember, I was a Cincinnati fan back in the, back in the day, so I used to rock their shorts heavy because they were Jumpman brand and black and red. Those was my colors. So every time Cincinnati got a new dope wing player, I knew about him, whether it was Ruben Patterson, James White, going into mm-hmm. Kenyon Martin, and then Nick Van Exel, yep, Nick, Nick Van, Van Exel, Exel came from yeah, there. Yeah. So it was just like, and I was a fan of how Bobby Huggins would always go and get these kids who everybody was like, yo, he might either choke your mother out or he might give you 30 or he might do both. Mm-hmm. And he seemed to always yeah, find yeah, that yeah. new edgy guy with like unreal athleticism and make them into a somewhat decent basketball player. Ruben, Hattison, Ruben Patterson had a career. Kenyon Martin had a good career. Nick Van Exel had a good career. Mm-hmm. Shoot, Lance Stevenson, who didn't get to play for Huggins but was recruited by him. You get what I'm trying to say? Like Cincinnati had a mm-hmm. had a had a nice rapport with kids who were on the verge and getting them somewhere that you know otherwise other coaches may not have been able to take them. So I've always been a fan of that situation. But getting back to Vince, Vince Sanity for me started when he went by Chris Muller. Oh, on the baseline. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. From there. I didn't care about how good his team did. I didn't care about what their record was. I just wanted to see what he was going to do next. And he did not disappoint. There was the, there was the alley-oop that he caught in midair on a fast break that was, like, ridiculously poorly thrown. And he goes up, cocks back, and finishes that. He had, he had the dunk where he did the shimmy after on the fast break with the 361 mm-hmm. hand where it looked like he was going to break his wrist yep. in the rim. Like... He just has so many of those. By the time he got to that level after McGrady left and they were able to, you know, really start being competitive. So it was him, Oakley. Um, who did they have? Did they have Snow or, they had, or Muggsy? Um, they had one of those two at the point. They had M- Muggsy and they had uh, Antonio Davis. Yeah, Dale Davis. So they had a little unit. They were competitive. And what is it? They go to face up against, was it Milwaukee where he missed that shot after he graduated? So he graduates that night. Or that morning, then flies back from North Carolina graduation to play the game seven game, and I think it was against Philly. It was against Philly. Game yeah. seven, because that would have sent that would have went to sent him to the finals. That was the West Eastern Conference Finals. No, uh, it wasn't. I believe it wasn't. It you know why I know? Because Milwaukee the second played. round. Yeah, it was the second round. It was That's the right. Semifinals. That's right. Yeah, it was second round. Yep. Milwaukee mm-hmm. played. Milwaukee played Philadelphia for the for the chance to go to the finals, and Milwaukee still feels like the referees <laughs> feel like the referees robbed them of a series over you know typical NBA favoritism, that type of stuff. But back to Vince. So when Vince missed that shot, that's when I kind of like resigned to the fact that like yo, he's always going to be a great player, but that oomph that you need, that undeniable like I got this, Vince didn't have it. And I think he accepted that. And from a point where you make that, you know, that, that understanding with yourself as a player, you wind up looking for situations where the heat ain't on you. So by the time he got to New Jersey, it was all gravy. Because it's not my team. This team went to the finals before I got here. 
All I got to do is fit in. And if things don't go the way they're mm-hmm. supposed to, they're not going to blame me. They're going to blame Jason Kidd. They're going to blame Richard Jefferson. They're going to blame Kenyon Martin. They're going to blame all the veterans who were part of it. How come y'all didn't make it easy for Vincent to get back? And guess what? They didn't. They didn't. So yeah. then that whole situation didn't play out well. He goes to Orlando. It looks like in Orlando he gained 40 pounds. I don't know what happened. But he... Wasn't it the lockout? Yeah, it might have been around the lockout time. No, 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 no. That, that was... That was... No, no, Orlando was before the lockout. Regardless, that version of Vince that we got, like, that was, I think he actually bounced back and played better when he went to Dallas. And he was older then. So, like you said, there's a lot of people. Yeah, because he played played a year in Phoenix. He he played Orlando for two years, a year in Phoenix. Yeah, he did do a year in Phoenix. Then he played, then he did three in Dallas, uh, three in Memphis, played one in Sacramento. Uh, last year in Atlanta, and then this year about to finish off in Atlanta. But I was like, really? Like, and it, well, I was. Oh, this is, go back to. Yes, Vince been around for twenty two years, but it's almost like, yo, his his scoring average, Olaf's going to be diminished. All his like his career scoring average is going to be real low now, because, you know, if he would have cut them ten years off, he might have been average, been able to average twenty something points a game. But now, you know, now with his points per game being so low, he's only going to average about probably for his career about 17 points a game, where that last year in New Jersey, he averaged one a game. So for his career, he probably would have been in the, you know, low, low 20s. I think, I think Vince feels solidified in everything that he does. Like every time I see him get interviewed, he always seems content with the path that he's taking. So I, I try not to like really subject him to – Oh, like, you know, you playing with your numbers, you doing this. I don't think he genuinely cares. I think he just genuinely, you know. Oh, no, no. You play 22 years. You, you just like hanging around. Yeah, you like the basketball yeah, yeah. life for everything that it entails. Like, you mm-hmm. enjoyed it when you were the face of the, 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 you know, the face of the future. You enjoyed it when you were regarded as one of the top players in the game. You enjoyed it when y'all were on the precipice of competing for championships. You enjoyed it when you were, quote, unquote, the bad guy which is what he was the first couple of years. I think the bad guy stigma ended that night that he introduced Alonzo Mourning to the hurricane. <laughs> he goes behind his back on the, on the right wing mm-hmm. on a broken play. Cause I think it was like a, a tap out or something. Yeah. The ball winds up yep, going yep, to Vince yep. on the wing. He throws it behind the back at a guy who was doing like the most horrendous closeout in NBA history goes past him and then jumps in the air and curls his body so that his body is taking the brunt of Alonzo Mourning's force and then cuffs the ball and introduce Alonzo to the hurricane. At that moment, I was a Nets fan. <laughs> Give me a jersey. <laughs> Give me a pair of them nasty shocks that he had, all that. Vince, I'm with you. I was absolutely with mm-hmm. him. He... Vince has those moments, and, and, and not really many of them could be taken from him. I mean, he's the guy who did the whole, you know, what is that thing where he where he rides the bike after he does a dunk? Like, that's one of the the, the top ten to the me all-time dunk time. celebrations. Like, I love seeing that. And when other guys mimic it, like when I see um, homeboy from from Charlotte doing it now, big ups to him. Miles, what's it? Oh, yeah, Miles Bridges. Yeah, so those, you know, Vince, Vince did a lot to, to set trends. And there are a lot of guys mm-hmm. in the league active and coming up who they didn't forget. But like you said, his disconnect with the fans who could respect his actual prime 
he is doing something to affect that by continuing to play on into these years. But mm-hmm. back here falls, so man, get get your money. But it ain't about money now. Money. Come on, like what is he? What's his deal with Atlanta? Like what is he? Nah, it's probably it's probably like two million dollars or something like that, three million dollars or something. But I'm just saying, like keep playing. I wonder if. So if he's going to transition to being, you know, one of the play by uh, analysts, you know, because it's like after you did 22 years, like you, all right, what do you do now? Like, you, you know, you see him every now and then uh, in the off season on ESPN. Or yeah, he'll other do some of the, he'll, he'll join, he'll be on the, the yeah. jump. So I wonder if that's what he wants to do. You know what I mean? Cause you play 22 years. It's going, it's going to be extremely hard for him just to go sit on the couch. Like he's going to have to do something with his time. Heck, actually, I'm looking at his stats right now. He is number 20 all-time uh, scoring, scoring lead. He's actually – actually, he's like about 100 points ahead of – 100 points behind Carmelo Anthony, who's 19 all-time. Vince got 25,430 points. I, so, points. it might take him 58 games to catch Carmelo because if you average two points per game. <laughs> oh. well, he, he, he did seven points a game this but past season. how many season, games did so. he play? Uh, he actually played um seventy. Wait, oh on. come on! Vince actually played seventy six games. He last had the year. healthiest season of his it, life while playing with yo, Ben Gay on his body. <laughs> he averaged seventeen minutes a game. Uh, he actually started nine games. I mean, Vince, you know, man, half man, half. Amazing. Agree. You have to be you half know? man, half amazing to be out there playing basketball with icy hot on. You have to be. Yo. You have to be. Like, that's how Yo, he warms yeah. up. Like, God forbid the NBA allows, you know, CBD oil. He probably would have been able to extend himself <laughs> even longer because, you know, there's, you know, it's supposed Yo, he might have been trying to take Robert Parrish. Oh, yeah. Shout out to the Chief. The Chief really lived up to his name with that one. Yeah. Or he played forever, But, too. see, my problem with Vince... And, you know, it kind of goes contrary to, to everything else that's been happening. But I don't think there was ever a time where he had the opportunity and he elected to go be a part of an actual franchise that could get him, you know, further along in the playoffs. I just think he kept taking opportunities where he was on fringe teams and he basically let his prime and the closing years of his prime evaporate without ever making a concerted effort to be a part of a a title contender Mm -hmm. and to say you love the game that much but to love the game so much that you see it that you shouldn't be in the pursuit of a championship it's kind of like counterintuitive to me because it's like you didn't have to play for Dallas dog like when you played for Dallas you could have went and backed up Kobe in one of those years you know you could have you you there's just so many there's so many options where if it was just about you don't care about the check and you just want to play next year, then why not why not go do it somewhere where it matters? Like when you played in Dallas. I think he probably he probably wanted playing time. And you have to go to those teams that's not going anywhere to get playing time. But where did he start after he um he didn't start in, 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 in Memphis? He he was a sixth man or eighth man in Dallas. No, no, no. He's yeah, he no 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 he his whole career since he left Orlando was pretty much the bench, you know, because he went to Dallas in 2011-2012 season. He played 61 games, he started 40, 
then the year after that in Dallas, the second year in Dallas, he did he played eighty one games. He only started three. The last year in Dallas, he did eighty one games. He didn't start any. And then Memphis was sixty six games, one start. Uh, second year in Memphis was sixty games, three starts. Uh, he did Memphis was seventy three games, and then he had fifteen starts. But yeah, overall, he's just. He, he's only starting because somebody's injured and he's like, yo, you got Vince, you can start him. He, you know, Vince is a pro, so he's going to be like, all right, bet, put me in. But, yeah, he's not, mm-mm. Them days of him being a threat of getting quality minutes is gone. But that's not, you know, he's just a dude that's out there to, he's just out there to have fun now. So we basically got to watch him go from being top, top 10, top 10 in the league to a glorified rec player. If we just gonna be brutally honest, because all he was, no, 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 he, he, he went, yeah, like he, yeah. he literally was that guy who show up to any gym and people like, oh, Vince here, throw him a jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if he's gonna play in the Big Three next year. Wow. You know, I'm just saying. I mean, like I said, the Big Three's not a bad um, drop off when it comes to. You still uh, have those Vince? You still have those Vince years up? Because I want to do something. I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle off a year, yeah. and you're uh-huh. gonna tell me where Vince played. So, starting with 2008, where was Vince? 2008 was New Jersey still. Okay, so that was the one time where he was trying to be competitive, and it just didn't work out for him. Boston won the championship. Next year, where did he go? Orlando, right? Yep, Orlando, 2009, 2010 season. So 2009, 2010, he played for the Orlando Magic? So he yep. was on that team that lost to Kobe and the Lakers? Yeah. He played in the finals? Uh, you remember this? Like, yeah, I think Vince played in the finals. Did he ever play in the NBA finals? No, because the final roster uh, that I had for that year, the year that they went, it was Skip, Tony Batia, Donald Foyle, Martin Gortat, Dwight Howard, Anthony Johnson, Courtney Lee, Rashard Lewis. Vince got flipped. Oh, well. Hold on. So then, wait. So from two, the 2009 to 2010 season, it says Orlando. Okay, but, wait. So 2008, 2009 is when they played, is when the Lakers played. So the year before, they went to the finals, and then Vince came, and that was part of Orlando's downward spiral. It makes sense now. So, okay, Mm -hmm. so 2009 to 2010, was he still in Orlando? 2000, yeah. And that year, Boston gets back to the finals and plays the Lakers. Then, 2010 to 2011, where was he? He's... uh... He was in Orlando start the season, but then he got traded to Phoenix. So the year he went to Phoenix, Dallas wins the title. Mm. And so he comes after, I guess, thinking that he can get some run. They ain't never he misstepped twice. He did that once when he came to Orlando, and then he did it again when he went to Dallas. And it backfired both times. So I take that back. Vince, you did try and go somewhere where a chance at winning the title was available to you. You just was always a year late. <clears throat> And I'm thinking after mm-hmm. he did it twice, that's probably when he just resigned. So, you know what? It's rec league from here on out. I'm going to just do my numbers and, you know, stop playing basketball when I'm tired. 
But again, I still enjoy watching him. Like when he scored his twenty five thousand point for Atlanta, I was very happy for that man. He did it on a dunk, which is perfect considering that the fact that he's still dunking at forty two years old and he's dunking with what looks like ease for Yeah. I definitely gotta give him credit for it. I mean he's a he's a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. I don't know what his measurements are. He probably played in the era before all those pre draft measurements came out, but his wingspan's got to be something out of this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, man, on that note, I think we wrapped up Views of the Clutch, episode seven. Yes, sir. Um, it was yes, an enjoyable sir. podcast. I look forward to the next episode. Um, again, as always, all the people out there listening, if you have ideas, feedback, don't be afraid to leave a voice note on the, on, on the um, podcast to let us know how you feel. If you want to reach us directly, of course, then leave some sort of text message any way you can. We'll find you and we'll reach out to you. If you know about us on social media, you could definitely hit us on Facebook. Any comments, questions, ideas, topics that you want to discuss, please throw them out there, man, and we're going to catch y'all on the rebound, clown. All right. Peace.